0: of protection looking over the middle pocket collapses he takes off to the goal line touchdown stidham Six the hard way jared stidham for a second state preseason game shows off the wheels and the raiders are in the end zone now back to coalfield and company on espn las vegas Five o'clock hours here. Tip-off two hours away. UNLV at San Jose State. Cofield a company on the road. Adam Candy's helping out. Ari is in our Finley Toyota studios. Let's uh, bring in Adam Hill on a big day for the Raiders. Go behind the patch. We found out just a little while ago, Derek Carr benched Stiddy. You heard the highlights there of Jared Stidham. We'll be starting the last two games. Then we hear something about Carr leaving the team, but then we get different messages. So I'm not exactly sure if this was Carr's decision, the Raiders' decision, We'll find out. Adam Hill is in. Adam,
1: how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, I have nothing to write about today, so it's easy to come on and uh, spend some time with you guys.
0: Yeah, it's a. It's a weird day to cover because I think everyone on the show has figured that this day is coming. Now, the way it's coming down here and the timing of it is certainly something to discuss. Like you weren't. Were you surprised this morning by the fact that they've said you know what? Um, not that the season is over, but that uh, cars are not going to play. Were you surprised?
1: Uh. No, and I'll like anybody listen to the show on Monday. I think probably knew this was coming today. Um, I think me and Willie did everything we can to could to tell everyone it was happening today. Right. Um, and you know, my story this morning in the in the RJ was uh, about the first round quarterback prospects that are available. Huh. So, um, was it surprising? Not necessarily. No, I think it might have been a little bit surprising that Josh McDaniels came right out and said it. Right? I mean, I I was on the way into the building today. Saying how how much of an indication is he going to give that Jared Stidham is starting, or is he going to come right out and say it? And he decided to open his press conference with, you know, Jared Stidham is going to be the starting quarterback. So uh, there was no vagary. I thought there might be some some mind games, some you know hedging about it, saying, hey, we'll see, you know, what how the rest of the week plays out. But uh, they decided to come right out and say it. And uh, you know, the Derek Carr era is you know, basically over in, in Las Vegas and with the Raiders. And I think um, the the sudden finale to it, the way that it kind of just happens in the middle of the week is is kind of jarring and, and you know, bizarre. But um, sometimes these things, you know, there's not just one, you know, big uh, culminating event. And sometimes it's just, all right, here you go. It's over.
0: Why are they doing it? Is it more the tank of the last two games or contract concerns moving forward?
1: Well, I think if you're tanking, you'd keep Derek Carr in, right? You're basically, on I mean, know what, his play of late? Yeah, it hasn't been okay. good. No, I mean, oh. and, and, and honestly, like, yeah, it's part of the contract, right? The decision has been made. It's been made. For me, I, I think you go back and um, I've watched the game a bunch, uh, the game in Jacksonville against the Jaguars. I've watched that game over and over again uh, probably 20 times the last couple of weeks. And I, I think that was the game where they just kind of decided that this is it, it's over. And, I, I, you know, the, the relationship, I think, was somewhat strained after that. You've had some kind of weird weeks. Uh, in the week since, you know, obviously, uh, with some of the some of the post game things that have happened uh, in, the, in the in the games after that, and in, in recent weeks, and um, I think the decision was made. And then when what happened last week in Pittsburgh happened, which you know there's not too many games you can pin on one guy, but I think if you're going to pick one, uh, that loss was a Derek Carr loss uh, on Saturday in Pittsburgh. So um, I, I think that was kind of the boiling point, and the the final decision was made. And look, if he gets hurt at some point in the next two weeks his contract could theoretically become fully guaranteed. And I don't think the Raiders wanted to take that chance. I don't think they wanted to leave any question of, you know, if there is some potential trade value out there, um, all of those things. So so this is a a business decision for sure, uh, but it's also, you know, it's it's a, you know, why, why kind of mess around with everyone's feelings and emotions and all that for the next couple of weeks when everybody knows what the decision is and, and that it's already been made.
2: All right, on a different show, we can talk about whether that loss is Derek Carr's loss in Pittsburgh, but I want to bring up a point that uh, your colleague, who, by the way, we've never seen in the same place at the same time as you, Vic Taffer, uh, <laughs> pointed out today. Uh, he said, quote, owner Mark Davis has in fact been lukewarm on Carr for a while, apparently thinking the quarterback should have overcome all the disastrous draft picks free Asian signings and coaches, et cetera, et cetera. And he goes deeper into the idea that during the interview process for McDaniels and Ziegler... Uh, that there were some voices in the Raiders room who were very clear about the fact that they did not like Derek Carr. And I brought up the point earlier with Caleb Herring to say if you're mad at somebody right now, if you're a Derek Carr liker, if you're a Derek Carr stan, you're probably mad at Mark Davis in the end here because Derek Carr and Rich Passaccia were the ones given credit for getting the Raiders through last year, and then the reins were turned over to a couple of guys who obviously one wasn't Passaccia, and then the other was someone who in the eyes of Mark Davis, apparently was more responsible in Derek Carr for these losses than others.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot to it, but I mean, I I think if you're a Raiders fan, you also give credit. Let's take that at face value. And and believe me, I've heard the same things uh, about Mark Davis and his feelings on Derek Carr. Um, let's take it at face value that he's wanted to get rid of him for a while, which is the rumors that are out. And by the way, the car's right behind me, so I'm making sure that uh, Mark Davis's car's right, right next to me. I'm talking right now, so I'm making sure he's not in it. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> he, if, it's, if it's clear that he's been wanting to get rid of him, and I think he has, I think what you credit him with is he is an owner and he has his feelings on a team, but he allows the football people to make those decisions, right? So I think that that's where you say – you know, if you are upset in that direction, uh, what you can say is, you know, he's had football people that have wanted to stick by their Carr, and he has allowed them to do that, even if that's not his first choice. Um, if that, Like, this is a hypothetical, obviously, but if that's the case, um, I think you give him credit and say, look, he, he stayed out of the way and allowed football people to make decisions, and whether that was the right decision or the wrong decision, uh, he allowed them to do that. Now, I... I you know i have my belief that you know he was probably a little bit disappointed when he brought in a new regime and they said they wanted to at least give it one more year with Carr and obviously this was a one year tryout. that's how the contract was structured we all talked about that at the time it was a one year trial period and it didn't work out and so you know they're going in a different direction now and they will move on and get you know the quarterback of their choosing uh, but he did step out of the way and allow them to keep him in place and you know they thought they had a roster that was ready to go they also May not have gotten Devontae Adams. I would say they probably would not have gotten Devonte Adams if not for keeping Derek Carr around for a year. So uh, there was reason to do it. And let's not forget—I've said many times—it was fool's gold last year that they weren't very good and they made the playoffs. But they did make the playoffs, and so it is tough. It's a difficult decision to make to completely start over when you have a playoff team. And, and I thought they should have. But you know, it, it is a very, very tough decision to make when you're when you're when you feel like you're that close and you don't want to completely start over. Adam, Adam
2: Hills Hill joined Williams. us. Yep, yeah. Ahead, Katie, keep oh, yeah, yeah, he is. He is. He is. He absolutely is. All right. <laughs> uh Adam. All right. So you brought up the idea, and I want to stick with that idea. Um, you said a quarterback of their choosing. So that's where the speculation's all gonna go. I say it's going to be difficult given their constraints to get a quarterback who is going to come in and be better next year than what you would have reasonably expected a baseline for Derek Carr to be. Especially because we've seen what Tom Brady, everyone's favorite talking point of the day, looks like behind a bad offensive line in Tampa this year. But you're the one on the pulse of this thing. What could they do to bring in a quarterback that is, would make them competitive next year?
1: Well, look, I, the Brady rumors are going to be out there. There's no question about it. And I, I think that there is, if Tom Brady plays, that's the big if. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to come back next year because he did kind of make an indication today about his, he's going to be on, in the media very soon. I mean, he, he talked about that today, so does he mean this year, does he mean next year? We don't know, but if Tom Brady wants to play next season, I think there's a very good chance that this administration is going to have to tell him no if he wants to come here or say yes and allow him to come here. Like, I, I think this will be among his most preferred destinations for a couple reasons. Obviously, the familiarity with the system, the knowledge of, you know, Josh McDaniels and everybody around it, all of those things. Uh, for sure. That's that's a big part of it. But also, look, this is going to be Tom Brady's first single contract. And the tax structure is very nice here. Like, keep that in mind. And there's great weapons here if they keep, you know, Devontae and Darren Waller and, and they do resign Josh Jacobs and all those things. Like, it's a, it's an offense you can drop in. And I think he believes he he probably have success with and probably bring, like, Brock and Edelman and, like, those guys if he wants to bring them too. So uh, I think that there's a lot of options that he could bring in here. And, if he wants to play again, this is probably going to be near the top of his list, if not the top of his list, especially with this close relationship. Now, do they want him? Do they see something in, the, in him this year and say, "Hey, look, you're declining. We don't want us. We don't want you here." Maybe, but they're they're probably going to have to say no to him if he wants to play, and that'll be an interesting conversation as well. Um, I've thought from the beginning that Jimmy Garoppolo is almost the most likely player to be the starting quarterback next year, no matter what, and I don't think that that much that's that much different now. Now. If he comes back, at, you know, for the playoffs and wins a Super Bowl, like how much difficult, how much more difficult does that make it for the Forty ers to part ways with him, or for him? who knows how that works out? But I, I think that that's a very logical uh, connection to make to Las Vegas to come in here next year. Um, I would imagine they'd probably draft somebody and bring in Garoppolo. It'd be like another Trey Lance situation, but we'll see. I think those are very likely guys. You know, I've heard the Aaron Rodgers stuff as well, which I don't necessarily buy into, but um, that'd be interesting as well. But I think those are options that are out there and then you, you draft somebody to develop them for the future.
0: Adam Hill as well as part of the company, and of course from the Las Vegas Review-Journal on the Raiders' beat. We're going behind the patch here. Lots to unpack with what you just said, but let's go back to the beginning of this as Derek Carr is told that he's going to be on the bench. Technically, not anymore because he's leaving the team. We'll get into that. Uh, Devontae Adams spoke. Uh, what was his reaction to Carr being benched, and did he commit to the Raiders for the long term?
1: Um, no, and I wouldn't expect him to. Look, I I think he was very, very careful with his words as he usually is. Uh is a very, very intelligent person. He's also very, very savvy when it comes to this stuff. So um he he took his time. He came in the locker room late, usually would do a podium on Wednesday, but decided to do it to do it at his locker so it wasn't live streamed. Um I, I think he was very careful with what he's saying and he only took like two or three questions. Um he actually joked with us after like uh, you know, could have thrown some silly questions in today, guys, because he's often not liked the silly questions. Uh, but he said, hey, it would have been nice today. Uh, just kind of joking. But um, he said all the right things. You know, look, Derek's a good friend of mine. He's one of my best friends in the world. I came here to play with him. Um, you know, we'll see what happens at the end of the year. We have two more games to play, and we have, you know, Jared Stidham to support and to, you know, rally behind. And, and he, said, he said every right thing that you would expect him to say, uh, as I would expect out of Devontae Adams, because he's very, very good at that.
0: By the way, I'm glad you mentioned he's savvy. Uh, the majority of NFL players are not morons. They, they know what's going on in the organization and with the season. And I'm sure, you know, Devontae Adams has looked around and, and gone, you know what, Derek might not be here. So I, don't, I, don't, I doubt he was shocked today. Um, now that the, the thing I really need some clarity on, because we had different reports on this, uh, the Athletic First reported that Carr is going to be away from the team. And the way it was written up, it sounded like it was a Carr decision. And then the follow-up that I saw – made it sound like a mutual decision. This all sounds really weird to me. Uh, so what, what's what's the truth here with Derek Carr walking away from the team?
1: I don't know. We're still trying to kind of get to the bottom of it. I, I will say that um, I was told by multiple players today uh, that the first they really kind of knew that this had happened was before it was even announced to the team. There was a team meeting this morning, a usual Wednesday meeting, and Derek wasn't in it. And so they show up, they sit down at their meeting, they look around, there's no Derek. and I think everybody kind of said, oh, as you said, NFL players are smart. <laughs> they look around and they see that Derek Carr's not in the meeting, um, and it was not expected. They kind of figured what was coming, and then after that the announcement is made that he's not here. Um, I, I think that there's differing opinions on exactly what happened, but it makes sense for both sides. Um, if Derek said, you know what, I need time away, I need to step away, I think the team would have been thrilled with that. Uh, for a couple reasons. First, like, you don't necessarily want him practicing. If the whole reason is to not get him hurt, then why would you want him on the practice field taking a chance of potentially getting hurt? Now it would be nice if he was around and, you know, encouraging in the meetings and that sort of thing. Um, That would probably be good, but it is a distraction if he's around and doesn't potentially get hurt if he's around. So it makes sense to be away. And also, if he left, if he he did just leave on his own, if that happened, uh, it would make sense for the team to cover for him in that regard because they're going to be trying to trade him soon. Yes. And you wouldn't want it out there that the guy, you know, bolted and, and abandoned his team in this time uh, and is not, you know, technically being a good leader, good teammate, whatever you want to say about him. You don't want that to damage his potential trade, trade value. So uh, I, I think that there's – the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, I think Derek probably wanted to leave, and I don't think the team wanted to stop him.
0: Last one. Adam Hill's with us. So Derek Carr's away from the team. You're right. The Raiders are going to want to protect and then boost – His trade value is Derek going to be just a prediction. Is he going to be cooperative Um, or are we going to hear from camp Carr at some point, which actually could damage his trade value. I I wonder how much chatter there's going to be from here.
1: Yeah, I'll be interested. And uh, you know, there's a certain blog that I'm sure you can tune into and find out the information um, I'm sure that they'll have, they'll have it first, whatever he wants to say. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'll be very interested to see what he says. I, I did see um, – I'm interested to find out Sunday if he's there, right? I mean, that, that, that's a question because uh, I saw, you know, some of the uh, some of the writers that are, you know, from the Bay Area kind of covering it and saying, um, you know, that they, they expect him to be down on the sideline and being a great, you know, cheerleader and a teammate. And I, I said, I, I don't know that he's going to be at the game on Sunday. So we'll, we'll find out then. That'll be, I think, one of the first – you know, telltale signs of how this is going to go.
0: Yeah, this whole thing is so weird. And then the other thought I was I was having about, you know, the contract part of it is, what is the NFLPA actually for? What, like, why does it exist? If it's not around for situations like this when, you know, teams are like, ah, hey, you know, what, you're not playing because we're worried about the contract. Like, what's the union for?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. Now, I think you could also make the case, you know, even though they're not saying – that that's why i mean they're, they're kind of hinting in. at it indicating it but they're not outright saying it you could certainly make the case that his performance warrants getting benched at this point i mean i don't think that anybody would be able to fight back on that
0: right all right adam we'll talk to you later in the week another fun day in raider land thank you oh
1: yeah sounds good there he is adam
0: hill 364 1100 364 let's give away some uh vgk tickets we got tickets for uh game coming up 364 1100 364 1100. Golden Knights tickets for the Florida game coming up on the 12th of January. It's a 7 o'clock start. That's a Thursday, the 12th. VGK against the Florida Panthers. AXS.com is where you can get your tickets. But Ari's got you hooked up with a pair of tickets right now. 364 1100.
3: You're listening to Cofield and Company.
0: On ESPN Las Vegas. Crazy day in Vegas. Crazy day with the Raiders. Adam Candy is here. It's Cofield and company. Cofield on the road in San Jose getting ready for the 7 o'clock tip with the running Rebels 11-1. First game in conference play. Always an interesting spot against San Jose. An improved team under Tim Miles. And we'll give you a little preview of the Spartans in about 30 minutes. Basketball on the way. As I said at the start of the show, Candy, with the news coming out that Derek Carr would be benched for these last two games and that Jarrett Stidham would move into the starting role, not shocked by that at all. Uh, The way it's gone down is a little bit weird, but I do have to say I am surprised by this. Derek Carr is going to leave the team and be gone for the next couple of games. Uh, Adam Hill just brought up the issue, well, if he's going to be away from the team, does that mean he's not even going to the games, which I also find... Completely bizarre. And then I know you were thrown off a little bit by some of the tweets that were coming out. You know, Vic Tafer from The Athletic is is all over this stuff about maybe when Mark Davis made the decision on Carr and it soured on Carr and it's not like yesterday, according to Vic.
2: Vic Tafer has an article that you can tell – has been ready to go for longer than (laughs) this last day or so that it took to make this decision. So, I can read a number of things from it, but Vic's article in The Athletic talks about this in terms of the decision to bench Derek Carr. Ziegler and McDaniels met for two nights to discuss Carr's status, and my read is that on Tuesday night, they were leaning toward keeping Carr as the starter. Ooh. Carr is a team captain and very respected by teammates in the locker room, and teammates may not think making him a scapegoat is fair or honorable. I think, let's keep that phrase front of mind, I think that is when Davis stepped in and decided that it was time for a change. Okay. So if you are looking at this franchise and saying, well, Mark Davis brought in McDaniels and Ziegler, and McDaniels and Ziegler are blowing it up. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, and, and Caleb Herring and I talked about this earlier on the show to say Mark Davis watched Rich Bisaccia and Derek Carr steer this team through truly an unprecedented situation with the coach having to be fired in the middle of the year because the NFL and the Washington franchise had leaked information about the head coach that necessitated him being let go immediately, and then having your star-wide receiver kill someone in a DUI crash in the middle of the year, and Basaccia and Gar got them through that. And I know you said that's their job, but it also has to count for something. It also has to count for some level of credibility. So it didn't with Mark Davis, it, or at least it didn't count enough. So Mark Davis makes the decision to move on from Basaccia in the offseason, and according to at least Vic Tafers read, and Vic's been watching this franchise for a long time, Vicks Reed is that Mark Davis is the one who ultimately made the call that it's time to move on from Derek Carr.
0: I think Mark Davis decided years ago that he was fine with moving on from Derek Carr, and that was the quest of Tom Brady, and Gruden blew that up. So Davis was fine moving on then. And for all that Derek Carr did last year to hold things together and be the person out front, which is really admirable, I also think Derek Carr did a lot to unravel all the goodwill he did last year with the leaks to the media, with the crying after one of the games, and he and and he's got a little bit of a history of doing stuff like that that is a little bit weird and self-serving. And he is weird.
2: Let's be honest about that. Derek Carr's been weird the whole time he's been with this franchise. He is socially a little bit different, but that shouldn't be a reason to give up on the guy. And the thing about the crying, come on, let, let's not. It wasn't, get on it's not guy just
0: about. it's not just the crying. It's the. Hey, we're doing what we need to do. We're putting stuff in our bodies to get out there. It was throwing another player under the bus. And then running, maybe not him, but someone running to the media to make sure that we knew it was Waller. It's that stuff. It's that stuff that unravels some of the goodwill. So if, if, if that's the stuff for the
2: guy in Derek Carr who's gotten them to this point in some ways, good or bad, you're, so we're going to choose Waller in that situation. That's an interesting call to to choose Darren Waller over Derek Carr (laughs) if that's the way we're ultimately going to go.
0: Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3 to 6 show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island.
3: Yeah, totally. You know, when TCU plays their best ball,
0: they are certainly one of the best four teams in the country, and I don't think that's disputable. I think the big
3: thing is which Michigan are we going to get. The fact that they did come out and play the way that they did against Ohio State, to me, was shocking. So to me, like, this one is a
2: heck of a lot more of a toss-up.
0: Now, back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. It's one of the voices you hear on ESPN Radio, Harry Lyle, actually positive on TCU. I've been a little thrown off by how many national voices really have no idea who TCU is, which to me is just bizarre. I don't know what, playing in the Big 12, I guess if you're Oklahoma, you're not Oklahoma or Texas, national folks don't pay attention, really weird, but we'll get to that. Uh, Topic du jour, though, is the Raiders and Derek Carr and what the Raiders now have on the way and the Niners and Brock Purdy, and we wanted to kind of wind the clock back a little bit and talk some Brock Purdy, and a guy that we had on uh, last year when Iowa State was in town and Purdy was in Vegas for that game was uh, Ryan Harklaw who does sidelines for the Cyclones, is a, a former star defensive lineman with that program, and he gives Cofield and company here in Vegas a couple of minutes. How are you, sir?
3: I'm doing great. How are you guys out there?
0: Oh, we're good. Our heads are spinning right now because uh, the Raiders made a, a pretty big decision by benching Derek Carr, um, listen, what do, you, what do you make of this when you see this in the, the NFL? It becomes very much a business, and, you know, the Raiders have some contractual concerns about Carr and guaranteeing stuff moving forward. I just – I wonder from a former football player, like, what you think and then what this does to a locker room.
3: That's the biggest part. You know, as a, as a football player, obviously his, his pride was hurt today, you know, and, and getting benched, and, and, and that's a big part for him. But when you look at the locker room, you know, I think you're going to find out You know what the coach has in that locker room coming out when they play this week because that's what their assumed leader is no longer their assumed leader, and I think that you're going to find out what this team really is and is about when you come out of that of that tunnel this weekend because there's going to be a big part you know missing with him. I think he's been a vocal leader. He's done a lot for that organization. You know, unfortunately, just haven't been able to get over the hump. You know, and and some crazy games that we've obviously all watched, and and I think they're to the point of the season where. Yeah, I hate to say it's do or die. It's almost mostly die. But at the same time, you got to try everything you can to find your way into the playoffs. And, and I know that's probably a stretch. But at the same time, they're trying to see what they, got, what they have in a, in a second-string quarterback. And can they make some magic happen here at the end of the season?
0: Yeah, Jared Stidham, the uh, former Auburn player, is going to go in there. Former Patriots going to go in there. So let's talk about some of the storylines coming up for this uh, Raiders-Niners game. And really the top one continues to be for the Niners, the play of – Brock Purdy, you covered him, you covered that whole story, and it was a really amazing story at Iowa State. Are you kind of blown away, or, you know, you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's that's Brocky, you know. I expect him to be able to step in and play some NFL football in his rookie year.
3: So, it's honestly, he landed in the perfect system, in the Shanahan system. When you look at what they tried to do and how they spread the ball around, and obviously with Debo being hurt right now, that's going to be a little bit Tough, obviously, but Brandon Ayuk on the outside, and then you you got another Iowa tight end uh, running across the middle at at Kittle. You know, and I think that he's really revitalized his career here this year, and and actually, he's helped Brock. Brock was a big time throw to the tight end at Iowa State with Charlie Kohler uh, and Chase Allen, who's now with the Bears. And so he's used to that kind of a caliber of tight end, but that offense with Christian McCaffrey and what they can do with running the ball and how you can spread that ball out across the middle and the outside was built perfectly for someone like Brock Purdy. And if you were to drop him into another offense, you know, maybe like Buffalo or something where it's a lot of balls that are down the field, 30, 40, you know, big-time throws, that's probably not the right fit for him. But inside San Francisco's offense, he's going to be hard to be out of there, you know, just because of what his skill set is and how they try to run that offense.
2: I think what stood out to me the most in hearing the quotes from the locker room, Ryan, have been – Talking about the swagger and the attitude of, of Brock Purdy. And I'm curious, you know, what you saw of that and what you can speak to in terms of a guy coming in as air quotes, Mr. Irrelevant at the end of the draft, but having plenty of confidence in himself as the starting quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers.
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's so fitting. It's such a great storyline being Mr. Irrelevant coming into this, you know, this season, obviously, and get to go through that process with him. But, you know, I am not surprised. I think when when, um, when I watched him play at Iowa State his freshman year, he came in, uh, our starting quarterback at Oklahoma State gets hurt, we're down, we're struggling, and he comes back and wins that game. And you could just see this moxie this kid has, this confidence. And, you know, I've seen him get knocked out or, you know, get hit hard and knocked into a game. And you say, that kid can't come back. And that kid, you know, he's out there throwing touchdowns again. And you got to think this. He, he started 46, 46 straight games for Iowa State. He has a passing yards uh, record. He has a total offense record. He has a total touchdown passes record, eighty-one. Uh, he was responsible for one hundred touchdowns, completions nine ninety-three, and pass, passing efficiency of one fifty-one point one. And he owns a school record for completion percentage. So, and that, and we've had decent quarterbacks, like a guy like Sage Rosenthal who played ten, eleven years in the court, in the NFL, and then uh, Seneca Wallace. They were right before him, and not too far before him. So, for what he did at Iowa State, to see him drop into that. That offense and have the confidence. I'm not really surprised at all. You know, you play 46 straight games as a starter. You're going to see a lot of things throughout the Big 12.
0: The whole thing is still pretty bizarre, though. When you were watching the draft, are you like, "What is the league doing? Why are they all passing on this guy?"
3: I am, but you know, you know, you look at the league, and, and I, I think obviously for different reasons, the SEC is a big heavy. You know, when you look in the draft and. It's funny, before I jumped on tonight, I was like, I wonder if the SEC, when you look at going into the season, how many SEC players are rated at top ten amongst other players? With everyone being drafted high in the SEC, it's zero. Not one SEC player is currently pre-ranked in the season in the top ten. Now they have two, or excuse me, they have four in the top 20, which is still pretty good. The Big Ten has five. But, you know, I think when you look at the draft, these scouts get lazy sometimes. You know, and I think that when you pay attention to what what I just said, You know, 46 straight starts, his passing efficiency of 151. You know, he won games, big-time games. Um, He won the Big 12 – or, excuse me, he got to the Big 12 championship game. He won the Fiesta Bowl. You know, I don't know how you miss on something like that, other than you kind of get blinded by, you know, whatever you feel like your your loyalty is, or or sometimes you just fall into an easy way. And I I just think he got overlooked, and people weren't taking him seriously and looking back at what he actually accomplished playing football.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it. Ryan Hardcastle is with us from uh, Iowa State. He's the uh, sideline guy. Played was one of the star football players. Uh, some we'll say 20 years ago um, <laughs> around the Cyclone program. I think a lot of it with uh, Purdy came down to size too. I mean, I you know I had a chance to, and I know obviously you were around him all the time. I had a chance to talk to him at the East-West Shrine Game, and he's not you know, he's not the the biggest kid. And I, you're you're probably going to see this. Watch all the slicing and dicing, Ryan, in this draft. Um, Bryce Young put up monster numbers and he was you know he had a great supporting cast, but uh, he is now going to be compared to Will Levis at Kentucky, who's not as accomplished in college, but Levis is a freaking monster. So I think a lot of it comes down to measurables.
3: It really does, and again, I think that's where it can get the NFL in trouble. You know, where uh, Tom Brady didn't run a great 40, and I'm not comparing uh, Brock to Tom yeah, at all. I'm just yeah. saying, when you come out of college, you know, and they win games and they do things on the field, and I think sometimes the NFL, it does. They just they get to that combine and get blinded, you know, by these weight room heroes. And now sometimes they're great on the field and great at the combine, great measurables, great on the field. But sometimes the film gets ignored too much, you know, and you have guys out there that can do that. And, you know, if you look at, uh, and I'm trying to be careful, the kids played three games. I don't want to compare them to anyone else. But when you look at measurables of guys in the NFL that started and did very well, uh, Drew Brees, you know, the guy's not measurable. He doesn't look the part. He's not a big stature guy. But he gets it done. He got it done at Purdue, and he got it done in the NFL. And and I think that when you look at what his skill set allows him to do, if you watch some of his highlights, he can throw from all different angles. He can throw on the run. He can sit in the pocket. And the best part is, he makes fast decisions and rid of the ball quickly. And so that that is just some of the things that while you can go to the combine, you can look at their measurables. You, the, the film will not lie. The film does not lie. You can't you can't get away from the film. And I think if they go back and look at the film over the last four years at Iowa State, prior to this season, I don't see how you can't take a look at him and think, man, we really missed on this one. This guy, he had everything that we were looking for. He maybe just doesn't look that way on the tape measure. But when you watch him play the game of football against all these other guys, he can do it, and he can sling it, and he can, he can overcome some of those challenges you have with, has with the size. Six foot two,
2: 210 pounds is the measurement on Max Duggan for TCU. Uh, obviously, they had a huge game not only against the Clones but against just about everybody uh, this year. What do you expect out of this TCU team come New Year's Eve?
3: Wow, that's uh, I, I'm trying to figure it out myself. and you know I, I watched them a lot throughout the season. I had a chance to watch film on them and there was times you'd watch film on them and you're you excited to play them and you think, Man, we could be that team, and knock them off and there's times you watch film on them, and you're thinking, holy crap, I don't want to play these guys right now. You know, and, and Iowa State found him the day they didn't want to play him. You know, they ran us out of the stadium, and, and it wasn't even close, but the thing about Max Duggan that, that stands out to me is, is he makes good decisions, and he has the age factor. You know, you, you you see all these, you know, early signing day happen, and you know, you get all these young kids that are touted for three, four, five-star. You know, Max Duggan's a kid out of Iowa, actually comfortable off to Iowa, and he's showing, you know, what a fifth-year senior looks like, and and gone through adversity, and and when you're that you know, you're that uh, tenured in, in the league, you can make a lot better decisions. And if you look at like his stats this year, he's got thirty touchdowns and four interceptions, sixty five percent completion percentage, which tells me he's matured. And so basically his maturity is competing against younger teams or younger kids that are out there that yeah, that three, four, and five star, but his maturity has allowed him to take and help this team advance throughout the season and put himself in a good spot here. But They are going to have their hands full, uh, you know, this weekend when when they get a chance to play Michigan. But they've earned the right, I think, to play in this game. And I'm excited to see what happens.
2: To that end, obviously, you haven't seen Michigan as up close this year as you have with TCU. But what jumps off the page to you most about this Harbaugh team versus other Jim Harbaugh teams that have not gone as far as they have the last couple of years?
3: I think their identity, you know, I think every team that's good and great has an identity. Uh, this team will run the football and they'll slam it at you, you know, and I think that they're a really, really strong defensive team. This looks like a Big Ten team. And and I think when, when you think, it wasn't that long ago, we were, people were called for Harbaugh's head, and I just think they lacked a, they, they really lack that identity. You know, they're bringing all these great athletes in, these five stars that look pretty on paper. They had all the measurables that we just talked about, but there's no identity to the team. And now, when you watch them and you look what they did against Ohio State, there was, their defense was physical and strong and powerful. And, just, you know, they just shut down Ohio State. And then on offense, man, can they rush the ball. You know, and it's back to old time Big Ten football. And I think that's where he's really gotten this figured out is, is you know, he was able to bring the top players in, the top kids in. But man, they were slinging the ball around, just didn't have that identity as a football team. And I think this year they found it, you know, and I think it's a. The physicality is something they're going to try to wear TCU out. They will run the ball at them all day long and to see if they can stand up to how physical they're going to play that football game.
0: Ryan, last one from us, and we appreciate coming on on short notice today. Uh, how nuts is Otz Mania off to a 9-2 start? I think like 16th in the country in defense, according to Ken Palm. I just read that they announced like four sellouts coming up, so uh, this turned out to be a pretty good hire, right?
3: It's a great hire for us, and... I know we unfortunately took him from you guys, or fortunately for us, unfortunately for you guys. But uh, um, I think that he's he's at at the right place for him. You know, I think it's a it's a good location for him. He'd come through obviously under a few different coaches at Iowa State. He understands the culture here, what he has to do to recruit. Uh, He's taken a little bit of the page out of the Fred Hoiberg book, you know, and and what he's done, and, and with these grad transfers and non grad transfers now It's the open portal, but he's. Two years in a row, been able to put some teams together that have been very successful. Then, you know, another guy that you guys may recognize, recognize Caleb Grill. You know, he he's had a, a really good year. If you if you watch the North Carolina game where they upset North Carolina, who was number one at the time, Caleb had a huge night. You know, and was a big part of that both defensively and obviously offensively as well. So, Coach Ots is doing a phenomenal job, and, and the, the fans out here love him. He loves them. You know, the Iowa State fans have adjusted to his defensive style, and that's kind of what they're known for is playing 100% all the time. They they play the pace. They may not put it in the hole like they want to yet, but they do play defense that keeps them in the game. That defense travels on the road or at home. And, again, I think that the fans out here are extremely excited about what he's been able to do so far, and especially what the future looks like right now. His recruiting class next year is top five in the nation. So uh, he's done a great job bringing the talent in and then building that, what we talked about earlier, an identity to that team as being just rough and physical and, and blue-collar.
0: Ryan, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Have a good New
3: Year. All right, guys. Good talking to you. Happy New Year to you as well.
0: There he is, Ryan Harclough, one of the star defensive linemen from uh, Iowa State right around the, uh, do I say the turn of the century? How, how ridiculous is that? But anyway, he was uh, he was on one of the you know first really, really good teams at Dan McCartney and now he does sidelines, and uh, he had a, you know, the four-year experience of Brock Purdy on Otts. Yeah, he's been pretty good so far at Iowa State. <laughs> you don't know if he got a little payday out of that, but uh, the sting has been taken away a lot by the fact that Kevin Kruger's team is off to a really good start, right, Kenny?
2: Oh, for sure. And I think Ryan hit the nail on the head when he said, this is a great place for T.J. Otzelberger, Right. Sometimes it really is about putting the right guy in the right spot. Everybody looked at the Chris Beard situation and was like, oh, my God, what would he have done at UNLV? Well, it probably would have been pretty good, but there's no guarantee it would look anything like it did at Texas Tech.
0: Join Cofield and company on Thursdays for the live 2-5 to five show at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. During all NFL games this season, get 77-cent beers. It's Thursday Night Football at Silver 7's Flamingo and Paradise. Cofield and Company presents... Hey, hold on, hold on, up, up.
1: Grab Bag.
0: Don't touch it. Don't even look at it.
1: Only on ESPN Las
0: Vegas. Stick
3: your hand in there, Dave.
0: Back around Cofield and Company, courtside in San Jose. Rebels, 11-1, going to be taken on San Jose. The uh, Spartans under Tim Miles here in about... 68 minutes candy the uh, the conference is a little bit different this year while last year they had four teams go to the ncaa tournament it was a little top heavy there's a lot more balance now and uh, even the teams that weren't expected to be real good are actually pretty solid Uh, san jose state is one of those teams
2: if the worst team in your conference right now is a four-win fresno state team things are looking up from the bottom and that's important for the mountain west because whether we want to talk about net rating or how the committee looks at potential at-large teams, it wasn't that long ago that the bottom of the Mountain West was dragging down everyone else. If you had a team that was a bubble team, the second or third best team in the conference, well, having to play a team like San Jose State twice was a huge drag on you. But now, you got a San Jose State team that has nine wins, and all of a sudden, the bottom of the Mountain West doesn't bottom out the same way it has in the past, and that could be huge come down the stretch by the time you're making your evaluations if you're the committee. And I know it's not all, you know, RPI hits the way that it used to be. We're talking about quadrant wins, et cetera. But when you don't have the potential to have a quad four loss or to lose to a 300-ranked San Jose State team, it really does help your resume in the end.
0: Yeah, looking at the net rankings, if Fresno is the worst team, they're 199, which ain't good, but it's not freaking, you know, 290, uh, Air Force is 151, San Jose is 125 in the net rankings. Um, I think New Mexico has surprised some people. Nevada has surprised some people. The Rebels, who, by the way, are very aware of the preseason selections for the Mountain West Conference, very aware. Like, they're not stuck on, hey, we just won 11-1. and uh, They could be stuck on the fact that they were picked – sixth I also saw seventh and eighth by some other people but they know they were picked sixth, so there's some motivation coming into this uh, conference portion of the season and you know we shouldn't be shocked by Tim Miles moving San Jose in the right direction I will say this it's a really hard job it's a really hard job there my guess is in their arena which holds 5,000 there will be less than 750 people here the people I'll just take do not under there. Yeah, and the people just do not come out here, but he's a really good coach and he's one of this conference. And that's the thing, we watched him win at Colorado State and you
2: want to talk about hard jobs. He went into one of the ultimate hard jobs in Nebraska. I mean, try taking that school and turning it into a basketball school. So that to me shows that he was the right guy for a place like San Jose State that no one had any expectations for it. The yeah. program had been so down for so long that even them being
0: 500 would look good, let alone being 9-4. and four. Uh, To put that 500 reference into perspective, they've got nine wins on the season. You mentioned that. They've only won 10 games for the season one time in the last 11 seasons. That's how down they've been. Oof. Yeah, it's it's been rough, and that includes – you know, going back to the era with Brandon Clark, who was a great player in this conference before he went on to Gonzaga. So this is a much different San Jose State team than they've had in the past, especially last year. They just did not have quality big men. Uh, Ibrahim Jallo is in from Ohio State. He got to play a little bit last year, but he's a legit 6'11", and he's averaging seven points and six rebounds. They got another big from Temple in Sage Tolbert, who's averaging ten points and eight rebounds. So when I mentioned rebounding, that is the one thing in talking to uh, Kruger yesterday and players that they, they're absolutely focused on has been their struggles defending the defensive class.
2: In the end, our good friend Robert Smith, who was my high school basketball coach, talked about rebounding as, yeah, obviously you can't teach tall sorry for those of you who don't like me saying obviously but <laughs> it's heart and effort It's it yep it's, it's it's an effort stat and yes if you play man versus zone it makes a difference in terms of your boxing out etc no rebounding is something you can change you can't teach someone to be a better three-point shooter in the middle of the year you absolutely can become a better rebounder as your year goes on
0: yes uh and kevin Kruger has reminded me of that a couple of times uh The Dayton game at half, I mentioned that they had a big negative rebounding margin. And I said, hey, are you thinking about going to two bigs out there? And that has stuck with him, and he has busted my chops the entire season about it. I'm not saying it happens every day, but a couple of times since. He believes in what they do with the smaller lineup defensively, that he he does not want to throw out, you know, whatever it would be. You know, six seven, six eleven. If you want to bring in big Carl or Big Guard, he's not going double bigs. I was gonna say unless he absolutely has to, I don't know what he would have to. Like I we've seen lineups out there, Candy, where he's got he's got Lou Rod, he's got Luis Rodriguez basically a center, and Elijah Harklitz is the second biggest man on the floor. The the hey, rebels look. the rebels want to make you do what they're doing. Go small.
2: This is you know, I, I laughed when we heard Ryan Harklow from Iowa State talk about Everyone getting used to the T.J. Otzelberger defensive style. That's not what we were promised with T.J. Otzelberger, right? We were promised run and gun from South Dakota State. And I think it's the same thing here with Kevin Kruger with the small lineup. This is what we were told. We were told that they want to play positionless basketball, right? You want to be able to play, switch out at all five spots. Well, if you play small, you can do that.
0: Stick your hand in there, Dave. So it's a shame we uh, we only have three hours and we had all this Raider stuff today. We had really good content, so I'm not saying that part. It's a shame, but my God, last night may have been one of the greatest NBA single game performances we've ever seen. The stat line, come on, sixty points, twenty-one rebounds, ten assists from Luca. This was the game tire at the end of regulation. Great call. Oh, okay, that's great. So Luca, it's never been done in NBA history—a sixty-point, twenty-rebound triple double. Sixty points, twenty boards, never, it never happened, baby. How's it feel right now? I'm tired as hell. <laughs> You can rest later. You're young. I need to recall your beer. And there he is saying he wanted a beer after the game. Here's the actual highlight. Nothing shocks me about
3: this game. And that Drew rim. It's still loose. looking at oh, He got it. He did it. He did it. it. An improbable
0: comeback by Dallas to tie it with one second left. It is unbelievable. It is a miracle. It's overtime. Go, New York. Go, New York. Go.
2: Uh-oh. Sorry, Knicks fan. Oh, and 13,884 previously. Teams that were down nine with 35 seconds to go before Uh, last night.
0: uh, Reggie Miller all over
1: again, but a tip-in off his own. I did a good show today. I don't deserve that. (laughs)